Well, let us open in a word of prayer and we will dive in in our study today. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all lords and who is the exalted one. And as we open Leviticus today, as we read uh, about the Day of Atonement, as we study and really how it points to the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, to pay the penalty for sins. I pray that you give us grace, open our eyes to see the truth of your word, hearts to reflect, to remember, and to worship Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Before we jump in, if you are new, we are... If you have not been with us in the adult Sunday school, we are covering today the book of Leviticus, and you're probably wondering what Leviticus has to do with Christmas. This is a Christmas time. Can't you tell, brother? Well, if you've been in the first service, I have a question for you. How many of you have been during the first service? Because if you have not been, uh, I want to be in the whole fair. I, how many of you noticed in, this, in one of the songs we sang uh, actually, terminology from Leviticus. Any guesses? A reward would be a cookie. Alright, I'll give you a hint. The song, Angels We Have Heard on High. There was a second stanza. The line started, Shepherds, why this jubilee? What is the word that comes from Leviticus? Jubilee. Yeah, they will cover actually at the end, toward the end of Leviticus. Um, there was another word that uh, came from the sermon, Pastor Campus. Actually, the term that we mentioned in Leviticus 16. I know it's not prerequisite to read Leviticus 16, but how many of you remember the word scapegoat? Okay. So, it's, it was interesting. Not that I'm purposefully paying attention to see Leviticus and everything, uh, but actually quite opposite. As we study Leviticus, our purpose and our goal was to see Christ. Because the entire scripture points everything to Christ. He is the Lamb of God. And this is uh, kind of the whole background of my slide here. As we study Leviticus, we want to see the perfect Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So, who can tell us what is the theme of the Leviticus? Holiness, thank you. And really, the purpose of this book is to instruct the nation of Israel that was camping at Mount Sinai. It's a nation about a year old, as they were formed, redeemed from Egypt, and they get getting ready to go to the promised land. So God gives them instruction. And specifically, the book of Leviticus is really instruction to the priests. Because priests were obligated to know, to, um, to lead in worship and to instruct the people of Israel. So this is instruction to the nation of Israel how she must live and worship as God's chosen people in response to his holiness. Now you may recall that they are heading to the promised land. And promised land is filled with many holy nations. True or false? False. Actually, all those, those nations, they were deeply religious, but deeply pagan. So God is instructing people of Israel that they should be the light of the world. They will be the vehicle of God's blessing to all the nations. So they need to be holy nation, first and foremost. Uh, we, through the course of our study, we try to define holiness, and we brought various aspects of holiness. So, if you are to remember, or if somebody would ask you what holiness means, or God is holy, how would you explain it? Set apart? Set apart from what to what? Yeah, so the term holy to sanctify means to set apart but in what, essence, in what sense does it uh, refer? So we talk about his majestic holiness. God is a creator. He is set apart from the entire creation. There is nothing in this creation that would reflect who he is or truly portray or mirror him. There is nothing. That's why in Ten Commandments, the, the commandment to the people of Israel, you shall not 
make into the likeness of God anything that is in this created world. So in that sense, God is the other, categorically other. There is absolute, he is absolutely unique. There is nothing that can be compared. So that is the first, uh, really, meaning of wholeness. God distinct from everything else. What is another meaning of holiness and how we oftentimes think about holiness? Purity. purity. God's moral, moral purity. So over time we were reflecting on some quotes and today I brought again John Feinberg as he uh, summarized speaking on God's holiness as the majestic God whose qualities know no boundaries. God's being is infinite above his creatures. So his majestic holiness. Moreover, as distinct from creation, he does not depend on anyone or anything to bring him into existence or to sustain him in being. And that's what Pastor Campus was saying today. The word, God's name, Yahweh, the Lord. He is independent. He, nothing came, brought God to existence and he does not depend on anything for his existence. It is not true of any of us. We all depend on food and cookies. Um, yes. And of course, there is only one being with such majesty and perfection. He's unique, a triune God. And this is really what uh, fueled Hannah's prayer in Second uh, Samuel. As she was uh, praying in the temple, there is no one like no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. And that was the foundation of Mary's prayer when she really was uh, blessed with the news that she is going to be the mother of the Holy One. So, another, uh, just a continuation from John Feinberg, God's moral purity and perfection, God is separated from everything. God is free from pollution of sin, for he cannot sin. Here's the quote. The fact that he is so pure and perfect that the scripture says he cannot even be tempted to sin, in James 1.13. Though God could have decided not to oblige himself to obey any moral rules, the description of God's action in scripture shows that he abides by the same standards he has set for us. In fact, God's moral norms are expressions of his moral attributes. So in obeying those norms, God is just being consistent with who he is. And just a remarkable text as we think about God's holiness in, in, in context of his promises. When God gave his promises to the people of Israel or to the church, uh, once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It is God who, by his holiness, remains faithful to everything he said. That is consistent to his nature. So as we were studying through Leviticus, we're really coming today to, to, the, to the mountaintop of Leviticus. But it's interesting as we even think uh, in the perspective of the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, the Torah, this is the mountaintop of the entire five books of Moses. Leviticus 16 happened to be right in the middle. And this is, on the Leviticus 16 hinges the first part of uh, five books of Moses, first half, and connects with the second half. So we covered with you the way to God through appropriate worship. God who instituted, because of his holiness, the proper response by people of God is to worship God. So, because of his holiness, can anyone enter into his presence? And the answer is no. So God prescribed through Moses for people of Israel to build a place where he would dwell among the nation of Israel. That is the tabernacle. And you remember, and you will see some of the pictures of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was really uh, guarded. It was enclosed. It was not permissible for everyone. There were only certain people, and in a certain way they could approach God because he's holy. So there was, so, and specifically through this first section, we were studying that 
God's presence can be enjoyed through sacrifices. He gives through Moses uh, the instructions about various sacrifices. And then we covered that uh, the ministry of priests, the necessity of priests, because they would mediate between God and Israel. And then one requirement for whoever would come into the presence of God, they had to be clean. That was the term we covered the last few Sundays. And clean, it was not the term of hygiene. It had nothing to do with Tide or any other cleaning products that we would use today. It had to do with a ceremonial cleanness. And God would specify things that would defile or disqualify somebody to be unclean, either temporary, or somebody who would be permanently banned because they're permanently unclean. Who can give me an example of somebody who was really unclean for a long time? Hemorrhaging person? King Uzziah. That was, uh, he was unclean. It's interesting, uh, Isaiah 6, speaking uh, about God's holiness, would speak in the year of the death of King Uzziah, who was unclean because of what? Leprosy. So leprosy disqualified him to be in the presence of the Lord for over 10 years. So leprosy was one of the causes of uh, people's uncleanness. Therefore, they would not be able to come into the presence of the Lord. Now, the second half of the book, it will be really the, the Day of Atonement and ensuring God's forgiveness is the motivation now to live in, in obedience to God. And that is true for us today as well. When we understand our forgiveness, our position in Christ, that is the uh, fuel a motivation for our sanctification, for our holiness. So today we're going to learn two Hebrew words, and you probably have known them, and if you have not, in fact, I think you probably do not realize, but you know quite a few Hebrew words and Greek words, and we use them quite often. Uh, for example, how many of you know Hebrew word hallelujah? Only one. <laughs> no, all of you. And that means praise the Lord. So every time we either sing praise the Lord or we say hallelujah, we're saying the same thing in two different languages. So Yom Kippur uh, is really um, Kippurim, Day of Atonement. Um, Yom stands for day and Kippurim is atonement, covering. So that's something uh, we're going to learn and remember. Uh, incidentally, this day is being celebrated today in the Hebrew calendar. The nation of Israel, they celebrate today the Day of Atonement around October. And this is the only uh, national festival that they would celebrate. The, the, the whole worship for those who are considering themselves practicing Jews, and even those who are atheists, they still understand this day. Because everything else is shut down in Israel, literally everything but this is the day when they would start in the synagogue. They would go to the synagogue to, to really uh, celebrate and mourn. Uh, the Jewish calendar, and um, maybe briefly, it starts with a new year. It, around September, the, it's called Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, uh, when the books are open. And after the books are open, uh, the Day of Atonement closes the books, and they have about two months to settle any interpersonal relationships to try to seek the forgiveness with God. So this is their time. And this is the day when they seek through penance, uh, oftentimes through inflicting some pain, some discomfort. They try to avoid certain type of foods uh, in order to appease and, and receive God's forgiveness. So this is what happens in broad, broadly in Israel today. And this Day of Atonement really originated here in Leviticus. So we will read uh, two passages from Leviticus and we will uh, see what the scripture teaches us about this Day of Atonement. Ryan, would you be so kind to read, please? So Leviticus 16. This is the, the central point of the Torah, central point of Leviticus. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his 
presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, for he will die. For I will appear in a cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a bowl for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen uh, tunic and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are the holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. He shall take he shall take from the congregation of, of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for the burnt offering. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement uh, for himself and for his household. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot of the Lord fell, and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement for it, to send it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. As a scapegoat. Thank you. Now, the, the chapter continues and really gives a lot more details, uh, so I trust you you will read either now or next year as you follow us uh, through the Bible reading plan. But I want us to briefly pause and just think about from what we've studied so far in Leviticus, uh, the, the whole context. Notice, uh, uh, it may be helpful if you have your Bibles open, notice here uh, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, Lord brings the, uh, through Moses, he reminds the context why this command is given to Aaron. Uh, It has happened because of events that took place in chapter 10. Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil. So Aaron was, as a priest, he was instructed not to come to the holy of holies. Okay? And why? The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons, Nadab and Abihu. We read in chapter 10. What was so significant about Nadab and Abihu? They brought the strange fire. And what was the key to that strange fire? As it was not commanded by the Lord. God has given a very clear specific instructions pertaining to the tabernacle and to worship. And those two, very noble, they were leaders in Israel, they disregarded God's instructions. They chose to do something God did not command them. As a result, uh, God's fire consumed them. They were struck dead. So in the context uh, of that event, God gives instructions through Moses to Aaron, specifically to the high priest, and, and tells him not to enter into the Holy of Holies any time Aaron would wish. So what is the implication for us? What do we learn when we even read just these two few verses? We need to worship the Lord the way he asks us to not So the first lesson, we need to worship the Lord as he prescribes not based on our wishes and imaginations. Okay, what is the second lesson? There is a danger to die if we do not follow his rules and his instructions, his commands. Approaching holy God is a deadly, could be very deadly event. It's a very dangerous so it's, it's interesting that God starts with this negative, just brings to the memory what has happened. And it probably happened maybe a week ago. 
Just because the book of Leviticus is given in the course of the month, and we read that uh, the the ordination of priests, it was for a month, for a week. So these events really in the very fresh memory of Aaron. So God, here and here, uh, this is where the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat would be the, on the top. And God in the cloud would appear, and from this place, from the Holy of Holies, from this chamber, he would speak. Yahweh himself would speak. And uh, the, the actual atonement, when um, Aaron is instructed to come, he is instructed to bring what? He is instructed to bring the sacrifice, the sin offering for himself and his household. So notice that God gives very clear instruction to Aaron that even though he is in the position as a high priest, he is not sinless. He needs to deal with his own sin before he can deal with the sin of the nation. So Aaron would bring the, uh, the blood of the bull and we'll apply it here specifically. Now, you remember in our study of Exodus that high priest was uh, dressed in a very specific way. However, when for the Day of Atonement, the high priest uh, was instructed to be dressed in a different way. He actually had to be dressed in the, in the outfit of the normal priest, in a basic uh, linen tunic. So, why is that? Well, there is a garment of the ordinary priest, it's just a it's a time of humility for the high priest. And the whole approach for the high priest, that the they, high priest himself will never be able to come uh, into the Holy of Holies, into this uh, chamber, into the presence of God, except once a year on a day of atonement. And he would come to make the atonement for his sins, it's interesting that here in Leviticus, if you were to read, uh, God would refer four times. He would repeat this instruction that he needs to make atonement for himself and for his household, for all the priests first. And then he will make atonement for, for the people. So as he would come into the presence of God, he would apply the blood, will sprinkle, he would, first of all, actually will have to bring the fire pan with incense, and the cloud uh, of the burning incense will fill the Holy of Holies, and then he would have to apply the blood on the, on the mercy seat. Uh, he'll apply on the east side and on the top. He would apply it. Now, there is a second part to uh, the procedure that will take place on the Day of Atonement. Is um, The leaders of the congregation, they had to bring um, two goats to the door of the tent. Okay? And um, they would present those two goats, and then Aaron, or the high priest, will have to cast a lot. So there would be one goat for the Lord, and one would be for the removal of sin. So one would be sacrificed as the guilt offering uh, to really atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. And one would be the carrier of sins that will be carried into the wilderness. And the same thing, so after Aaron, the, the high priest would atone for his own sins, and he would sacrifice uh, the goat, and then he would bring the blood again to the Holy of Holies and to make atonement for for the people, for the nation of Israel. Um, so there are two questions. Why, why would this be important and necessary? No, the, the, to making the atonement, to actually sprinkling the blood for the nation of Israel. There are two two components. First, Derek just said the wages of sin is death, and, the, and actually we, we're not going to study Leviticus 17, but the blood itself in Leviticus 17 verse 11 it says, "For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you 
on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by the reason of the life that makes atonement. So really, blood signifies a life. There is a substitute, a life for life. One life was taken so another life can be preserved. So every time uh, the high priest would uh, make the uh, sacrifice and would sprinkle the blood, it signifies that uh, somebody's life was taken. So the life of a high priest and the life of the nation would be preserved. But then there is another reason, and it's actually, if we were to read through Leviticus 16, we will see that God instructs them to, uh, to, to make the atonement for the tent because of all the impurities and sin of the nation of Israel. Now think about the Holy God, he condescends to dwell among the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, they are sinners. They are sinners, in and through. So even though they come to bring sacrifices, even though they come to worship, even though they would bring peace offering, they're still sinners. So God requires that the, the high priest would make the atonement to purify from their sins. And that purification would include uh, everything inside and everything outside of the, of the temple or the tabernacle. He would have to apply the blood, verses 18 and 19 says, on the outside altar to cleanse from impurities of the sons of Israel. Now, in the next piece or last piece, something that, um, again, this is another term that's used, and this is something we use as a scapegoat. Uh, it's interesting that this term was a translation that came in 16th century by William Tyndale. Uh, and, and it just became really a term that we, we use. Um, so Aaron had to lay both hands on the head of the live goat. He had to confess the iniquities and transgressions of the sons of Israel. How long did he have to do that? For the whole year. There were a lot of sins to confess for, this, for the nation of Israel. Uh, scripture doesn't tell us, but he had to do that. And so, in this act, Aaron is transferring the guilt from people upon the victim, upon this goat. The sin bearer carries the sins and iniquities of people into the wilderness. Now they had to send the goat, the second one, with a, a, a man who was ready to take it to the wilderness. Now, in the, if you were to read some Jewish writings, they would say that... Uh, what happened to the goat? I mean, imagine they did all this procedure on the Day of Atonement. The next day, the goat showed up in the camp. <laughs> that would be a, a terrifying reality for them. All their sins should have been done in the past. So they saying that somebody, whoever was designated, had to bring this goat and uh, gently push it off the cliff. Uh, so the goat will never come back. We do not know exactly what happened to the goat. But that is, uh, it was very important. Somebody had to bear the sins of the nation of Israel away from them. They needed, a goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to the solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. That's what uh, Leviticus 16.22 says. So what are some illustrations or lessons that we learn from the Day of Atonement that would point uh, or for the New Testament believers. Okay, that definitely points to Christ. First, I want us to think about really the limitations of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And Old Testament sacrifices. They were necessary ABCs to lead us to the maturity in Christ, to point us to Christ. So who can say maybe one or two limitations of Old Testament sacrifices? Every year, yes. The Day of Atonement only once a year, yes. Only priests can do it. Only on specific 
Only a specific place. Yes. So first, Old Testament sacrifices were unable to fully atone for sins. A little bit later, David, in his prayer, he recognized, for you do not delay in the sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offerings. Saints later reflecting on really dealing with their own sin and God's requirement and God's holiness, they recognize that the blood of the animal will not satisfy the demand of holiness. There was the one type of sacrifice, a guilt offering for that specific sin, yes. As we were studying both Exodus and Leviticus, we kind of, in the parallel, studied Book of Hebrews, and that is really for free. Uh, so, trying to be full equipped and have the full comprehension of the entire scripture. But the Book of Hebrews, it really, uh, in the context of Leviticus, points to us and the key truth of the book of Hebrews is Christ is superior. He's better. And he and the author of Hebrews will speak to the second generation of Jews who would contemplate to returning back to the Judaism. And he would warn them and appeal to them and present to them multiple examples and multiple arguments why Christ is better. But also he will show to them really the deficiency of the Old Testament system. So in Hebrews uh, chapter 9 and in chapter 10, uh, the blood of bulls and goats could not clear the conscience of the offers. Yes, they have done the act, but in their heart there is a reminder. Uh, So they were the symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices were offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. In Hebrews 10.4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There were hundreds and hundreds of, of animals were sacrificed, but at the end of the day, none of them could take away the sins. Uh, daily and... Annual sacrifices could not permanently remove the stain of repeated sins. Uh, These animals, they were actually serving as a reminder that we still have to deal with our sin. Uh, We bring sacrifices, but we have not uh, completely and perfectly dealt with our sin. Under the Old Covenant, we're in... People were incapable of, of really receiving the promise of internal inheritance. This was an ongoing process for them, either through for the high priest or for the Israelites. And high priest was not exempt from this. None of them were exempt. And really, uh, all of their sacrifices in the Old Testament they would point beyond themselves to the one to the one who once for all brought himself. In Hebrews 10.10 10, we read, by this, will he, we, by this will we have seen, been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And this is the phrase that will be really repeated in the book of Hebrews. That Christ, he suffered once. So as we reflect really on the centrality of uh, this doctrine of atonement and the truth of atonement, if you uh, have not read, and Samuel, maybe you've read for your classes, uh, Bruce Demers, uh, The Cross and Salvation, he has the entire chapter on, on atonement. Just uh, some helpful reflections for, uh, for you. I believe we may have the copy in the, in the church library. I do not know if you know we have a library that has many resources. Uh, I encourage you to actually check them out, use them. Uh, just This is something we can grow in our uh, maturity in Christ. Uh, 
But let's think about the, the whole doctrine of atonement, its centrality. It's not only centrality in the Torah and the Pentateuch, but it's actually central, central in the entire scripture. Where does the doctrine of atonement begin? Yeah, Genesis and Garden. True? Yes. Can you give me an example? What exactly, when we think about Genesis, Garden? So when Adam and Eve have sinned by willful active disobedience, they rebelled against God's instruction not to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And they tried to cover themselves. Their covering was not sufficient. So God provided the covering for them. And this is really the term for atonement, to cover. So God provided that covering for them. And this is the whole picture that we will see throughout the pages of the scriptures. It is God who provides the covering. We as a mankind, we are incapable to have a sufficient covering on our own. It doesn't matter how many hours you will spend in the shopping mall or online. There is absolutely no covering that will cover us from the eyes of the Holy God and cover our sins. God is the only one who can supply the sufficient covering. If you have not been covered with God's covering, there is nothing in this world can cover. And if you've been covered, there is nothing in this world that can uncover. This is the prayer of David in Psalm 32. I, I really enjoy this text, and the Apostle Paul would refer in Romans 4 to this Psalm 32. How blessed is the man whose sins are covered. He confessed and God covered. So this is really remarkable. And it, it goes all the way through Revelation. It is in Revelation uh, there is this everlasting song to the lion and the lamb in Revelation 5. Uh, the, this term of atonement is repeated in, just on the pages of the Old Testament over a hundred times. Uh, where else do we see the centrality and the emphasis of the atonement? What about the Gospels? When we read the Gospels, of, uh, the accounts of life of Christ and the ministry of Christ, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how many chapters devoted to the birth of Christ versus uh, to his final week? Yeah, so maybe three chapters and 60 plus chapters. Just a, a brief, uh, not a statistics, but it's interesting that uh, every gospel writer emphasizes the final week in the ministry of Christ. Why? All of them important. My sisters really to elevate in our minds and our understanding the centrality of the atonement of Christ. So the atonement of Christ is the means thereby reconciliation, propitiation, and expiation are achieved. These are some handful of words. So what do they mean? We know reconciliation. When God and man are reconciled only by the means of atonement, because man in his sin is covered by God's covering. Propitiation. Now God's wrath is satisfied also by means of atonement. That's what we read in Romans 3. Expiation. The forgiveness uh, of sins is brought about by means of atonement. All of them achieved. There is a restoration of fellowship because of the atonement. Um, as we think and about the death of Christ, death of Christ is the basis for every spiritual blessing. It is the source for true Christian living, the foundation of church's sacraments, and motive for everlasting song. 
This is something we will sing about forever and ever. And the atonement of Christ averted the wrath of God. So there are multiple passages, really, that point to the centrality of this truth. And we, as we study in Leviticus and through and see and through the rest of the scriptures, we want to know this truth and uh, let this truth uh, permeate our soul. What are the implications of atonement? The guarantor of our salvation. Amen. The cost, the greatness of cost really shows uh, the fact that Christ, the sinless Son of God, had to die shows the depth of our depravity. the depth of God's love who willingly gave that sacrifice. It is interesting, uh, and this is something uh, Bruce Demers, he pointed out, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul uses the personal pronoun. Oftentimes, when he writes to the churches, he would use you, plural. We do not necessarily see that in English, but that would be the emphasis. But when it comes to Galatians 2.20, he would use the singular pronoun. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Dear Christian, how often do you reflect on this truth that God's atonement, he was realized through Christ who died for you specifically. He was not in general for the crowd. If you think about how many songs we sing uh, where this truth is reflected. For me, he died. For me, he lives. I know in our maybe Humility, we don't often think, we think about just the plurality of the church, and that, that is true, but this is equally true. God from eternity past have known you specifically, me specifically by name. Christ as a sacrifice, Christ as a person in his righteous living and his innocent dying, it was accomplished for you specifically. And for me specifically. You need to realize that his death is final. That atonement that Christ accomplished is final. There are many religions, and even some who try to affiliate themselves with Christianity, that would go about saying, well, uh, this is a whole list of what things you need to do. Or not to do. Some who claim that you have to, you know, participate in the mass, uh, or you need to—they they give a whole bunch of different obligations. But the Scripture, on the multiple occasions, points to us that Christ's death and His work of atonement was accomplished once and for all. In First Peter three eight, we read, "For Christ also died for sins once for all." the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Once. What does it tell us? Is Christ sufficient for 250 people here at Eastridge? Is he sufficient of, uh, I don't know, 10,000 in the United States? Is he sufficient for millions in the world? Is he sufficient for the sinners in the past, in the present, in the future? Is he sufficient for to cover all your sins, or only some? 
this, the, the, these are the thoughts we deal oftentimes when we struggle with sin in our life. But we need to come to what Scripture teaches us. That Christ died once, and that is sufficient. His blood is sufficient. It, it doesn't diminish our sin, but it exalts the person and the works of Christ. He is far greater than our sin. Really, and we, uh, Pastor Campus already mentioned, and I'm simply echoing what he is preaching, um, that uh, the preaching the gospel, preaching the message of the cross to our own souls, because that message transforms us. So when we preach the gospel to ourselves, how does it transform us? Well, let's take some things that we've learned from Philippians. Life of humility. I know none of you struggle with it. But, but still, uh, when we think about the cross, or I should say, if we struggle with humility, we need to go back to the cross. Because at the foot of the cross, there are no bumps. Everything is very plain. We all needed Christ and His atonement. A life of holiness. What motivates us to, to, to say no to worldliness and to live for Christ? It is His atonement. That His act of love that was put on display on the cross. A life of love and compassion. When we struggle to love somebody, we need to go back and reflect how much God loved me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only unique son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have an everlasting life. What about something that does not really maybe applies to us, a life of peacemaking um, in, the, in the relationships? That is a one very small term, and I, I think none of us really struggle. It's called forgiveness. <laughs> I, I do remember a few years ago, and it's probably been uh, maybe 14 years ago, still was single, and in our uh, singles ministry, a brother was preaching on forgiveness, the passage of forgiveness, and I thought, yeah, it doesn't apply to me. Little did I know... <laughs> But beloved, how do we pursue peace in the body of Christ? How do we pursue peace with people who offend us or people whom we offend? How do we ask, please forgive me? I mean, I know we wish not to offend anybody, but it happens. How do we forgive somebody? How do we not hold that grudge near and dear? But listen, what gives us grace and ability to forgive? Do we simply master it up in the self-will? Absolutely not. We look to Christ. We look to the depth of our own sin. And we recognize the fact how much we've been forgiven. And we do not hold anything against anyone. Or we deal with it in a manner of God's grace. Because we are the greatest beneficiaries. Life of our patience, patient endurance. Beloved, the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, his suffering motivates us to look forward, as Pastor Campus was preaching again, to day of glorification. We're looking forward to the day. And this is not over. You may have received a bad news, Yes, they will impact us temporarily, but that is not over. Because we received, before the bad news came, uh, you received far greater news. That your life here is not over. It is Christ who atoned for us. Uh, my daughter asked me, is, did he call us brothers? Did Jesus call us brothers? Are we his uh, siblings? Well, yes, that's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Imagine that. 
Jesus, you brother. So, definitely the book of Leviticus is full of truths that point us to Christmas. And I want to end with this implication of atonement from um, Sinclair Ferguson in his book, Love Came Down on Christmas. And if you're looking for some Christmas Advent reading, this is a wonderful read. This is what we should never forget on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. The Son of God was born for us in order to die for us. When we see that, then we have begun to understand love. Love came down on Christmas. We have a few moments, and I invite you to pray. Um, I would ask Brother Derek to start, and if you would like to pray and express the gratitude to God for his perfect, sufficient, complete atonement, you can do that. And I'll close in prayer. on your sacrifice, the gift of your son uh, for my sins and for our sins, Lord, um, as we heard this morning, help us to uh, look past our, our petty differences, Lord, help us to be unified as, as a body of Christ and uh, take the, the action to point others towards your wonderful gift for, for our sins. Father God, we are just amazed and grateful as we reflect on the truth, the depth of your forgiveness, the actions you have taken to be born as a baby, to live absolutely perfect life in all regards, and yet to take upon yourself the sins of the world, to take upon yourselves my own sins. And there were many. But I'm grateful, Lord, that you have paid for them all, you have paid for them once, and you have paid for them sufficiently that I have received the gift of forgiveness. And I have been reconciled with the Father, been adopted to the family of God. And even though I do struggle with a sin today, Lord, you have given the assurance and everlasting life because of Christ's accomplishment. As we look to him, as we celebrate Christ, as we exalt him, I pray that our hearts will rejoice in the goodness of your provision, the sufficiency of the person and works of Christ. May we reflect on on this truth, Lord, and may we share this truth with others. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his exaltation. Amen.